0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media platform for outdoor enthusiasts. If you love to hunt, fish, camp, hike, this is the community for you. Go to the Google Play Store or wherever you download your apps and download the Go Wild app and get started today. And for more information, you can visit timetogowild.com. Let's get outside. It's time to go wild.
1: Welcome to the For Love of the Land podcast. We're your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common, they all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home.
2: Alright guys, this is Adam with another For Love of the Land podcast. I am um, here at one of my favorite places in the world and I'm sitting down and we're going to talk some... Old school agriculture, uh, and talk about some of the stuff that occurred over the past. Whenever, uh, I've got my grandpa here who worked with MFA, Missouri Farmers Association. Correct. From when did you start?
3: Fifty-two to ninety-two.
2: Fifty-two to ninety-two. So, long time with MFA. Yeah. And I'm sure you saw some changes occur. Um, over over those years. A lot what, of changes. What was the, uh when you started in 52, what were you doing?
3: Working at the warehouse, handling 100 pounds of feed. <laughs>
2: so basically, at that point, how did the feed come to the warehouse? In on, a boxcar. In a boxcar. Came on the railroad. Yeah. And you unloaded it and then put it in the trucks or wherever.
3: Yeah. Put it in the warehouse, load out trucks from the warehouse. So... Back
2: in those days, fifty-two, and when you say feed, we're talking kind of the molasses sweet feed type stuff. Yeah, mix of corn and other things, right? Oh. What was the price per bag back in then? Back then,
3: oh, probably uh, three dollars, maybe. I'm not sure.
2: Long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it? So 1952. How much were people really? feeding hay like what kind of hay equipment was there were people really
3: cutting a lot of hay in 52 we had that terrible drought Yep. 52 and 3 and we imported hay from everywhere uh, we had people out buying hay in kansas and well even as far away as canada okay And they'd bring it in we had cars backed up everywhere with hay in them Mm. farmers come in pickups and everything
2: was there hay uh, at that point was there hay bales or was it hay stacks they bailed in okay they did bail it yeah round or square square
3: um uh, square okay. all they is a few small rounds but yeah uh, it
2: wasn't rounds like now yeah not five by sixes or six of sixes yeah. that we have now especially not wrapped no yeah how many people actually cut and bailed into square bales back then
3: Uh, I know of one.
2: Okay, most of it was just cut it and rake it into piles and then haul it to the barn.
3: Yeah. I had had to rake some and had a neighbor, had a baler, had some bale, But most of it we stacked, either stacked or put loose in a barn loft.
2: Gotcha. Wow. That's interesting. What was, uh, so 1952, then going into the 60s, what were some of the herbicide use? What was herbicide use like? Many people using that
3: uh not not too much, then.
2: gotcha more of the seventies or when when did you start seeing herbicide get used more
3: oh probably in the, in the sixties, probably
2: it started gotcha um one of the things that always shocks me the most is when you talk about the herbicide four five six d what was that
3: two four five t two four five t yeah this. This was the one they used in Vietnam the defoli- Yeah. defolize those jungles.
2: Basically, Agent Orange. Yeah. Yeah, and people were using it as a brush killer around here. Yeah.
3: Mm. And they outlawed it. I, I had a lot in the basement when they stopped sale on it.
2: Gotcha. That's crazy. Yeah. 245T. Yeah,
3: it was It was a good brush killer. <laughs> I
2: imagine it was. It was proven. Yeah, but it just wasn't so good for the environment and the people yeah. around it. Wow.
3: We didn't realize that at the time. Mm,
2: yeah. There wasn't enough research on it and long term uh, effects. Oh. No. Huh. What did uh fertilizing? What oh, was well, that like back then? Uh, it, it, triple it, it, eight. Triple well, eight.
3: And the bag, usually triple eight. Yeah. Of course we had bulk trucks. That uh and uh, Fertilized plant work could mix whatever they wanted.
2: mm, Yeah. And, the and you had a fertilizer plant right there. Spreader. Yeah. Yeah. How many people? How many people actually put fertilizer or lime on their pastures?
3: Lime then, a lot. A lot of people put it on. Did they? And as we progressed, as more and more people used fertilizer on their pastures and in their hay fields. Gotcha. At, uh, in 52, there wasn't too many using it then.
2: Yeah. In 52, there were still a lot of just native grass pastures. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of fescue. No. Yeah. So, orchard grass, fescue, these cool seasons, they came in, I think, in the late 50s, early 60s. Somewhere along there, yeah. Yeah. And then that started changing. Did the MFA carry that seed? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: We carried all kinds of seed.
2: Gotcha. Huh. Did you ever carry like native grass seed? No. No, cuz at that point, I mean, we still don't have a great grasp on harvesting mm. and there's not great vast quantities of native grass seed just cuz it's a little different mm. than fescue. So, oh, uh, well that's interesting. What what did, what what's been some of the biggest changes for you? And there's even been drastic changes from 92 to 2019, but what have been some of the biggest changes went from fifty two to ninety two that you saw?
3: Fifty two. <clears throat> well, we went from all sack feed yep. to all bulk feed. And we went so from hauling the thousand pound of feed out in the bag mm-hmm. to where we was up to twelve ton and bulk when we went to a farm
2: wow and was that loose or in yeah. back yeah just loose, loose feed yeah and they put it in a silo or whatever yeah. they had there
3: in uh, a barn law usually okay or then feed direct over the cattle in the grade a barn
2: okay yeah 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 i've been in several barns in the last three months where you'll go into the barn and you can tell like there's still old tools and stuff on the barn or yeah. on the in, in like the workroom where you're like, that is, that's been there for 40 years. Yeah. Um, and one of the barns actually was in southern Iowa and um, you could see where a big truck would pull in and there was this big old chute and that's where they'd put the feed or whatever and the chute fed it down into this big trough and then inside this trough was the grinder the corkscrew whatever you call that and that was the auger there you <laughs> go that, there you go perfect the auger um which would then feed it out all the whole side of this barn was just it had these little uh drops where it'd go down into the trays slanted floors concrete mm-hmm. floors and uh i mean I, how many barns do you see set up like that now
3: you know there isn't many dairy no. barns left in this area now no When I retired, dairying was a big deal around here. Yeah. Right now, there isn't many dairies.
2: No. I think in 92 or in the 90s, Wright County, which is where your MFA uh, store was, they were like number one or number two in the state for dairies. Probably. So very, very popular, and there's not many around here anymore.
3: Most of them that I was dealing with are out of business completely.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's sad. Um, I think going back to that barn in Iowa, it was hogs. That's what that one was set up for, and you can see um, it had wood posts set up, kind of holding, you know, wood structure. But each post down in the the bottom two two foot was just wore down where them hogs were rubbing those posts just pretty incredible and and it's one of those barns that it would have been quite the infrastructure back in the 70s and 80s but now it's just sitting vacant for years and years it's kind of sad
3: this is another thing we had went through a period of feeder pigs yeah you know where that feeder pig barn still up there yep and it's pigs feeder pigs come in from everywhere
2: Mm. Oh yeah, feeder pig barn. Man, some of are yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. feeder pigs. And were they those feeder pigs? Most of them are put in barns and side lots, or were they kind of? They weren't out in pastures doing any. They kind brought,
3: of, yeah, they, yeah. They were raised in in uh, lots. And okay. Pastures. Yeah. And they gathered them in that barn yeah. and sold them by auction.
2: To, okay. To
3: feed so, feeders all over.
2: Similar to a, a sale barn. For cows yeah, it here was now. a
3: sale barn other than they sold them over the telephone to people maybe in Iowa or wherever.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Huh.
3: Because they had graded these pigs, and they had certain grades, and they had graded on a the telephone. They'd tell them a grade on a telephone. And this grade <laughs> had to stack up, of course, when the buyer got them shipped to them.
2: That's crazy.
3: But they would be... Uh, trucks backed up to the top of that hill with Peter pigs on feeder pig day down there. Wow.
2: Oh, yeah, they and they'd ship them anywhere in the country, basically, where yeah. the buyers were. Yeah. Wow. How do, how were cows sold back in the 50s and 60s? Still sale barn, or how did they? I can't imagine they were sold the same way.
3: The what? Oh, oh. the cows? Yeah. No, they sold on, uh, on site. Okay. They'd run them into a sale barn where they could see them. Okay. Either by head or uh, feeder cattle, or feeder stock a lot of times by weight. Yeah, yeah. But dairy cattle be sold by head.
2: Mm. That's crazy. What about uh? So with MFA back in those days, explain to me how that store was owned, because I think there was a difference in why it is owned now.
3: Oh. You know, yeah, it was farm farmer owned when I was managing it. Why, it was farm owned when I sold out to, uh, the corporate. company. Yeah. When I sold out to the MFA corporate in North Missouri, why we had uh, we w- when we sold to these farmers whatever our profits were at the end of the year was divided into dividends to each farmer okay and of course we had a retained saving yeah We'd send out so much by letter by check and then the rest by retained saving and when i sold out to the mfa we re- retired all the retained savings that i put out to farmers hmm. and some of it is pretty good check
2: <laughs> i bet so it truly was kind of like a Uh, Just a co-op where everybody had money in the pot. And then however much that company made, then it got spit out.
3: According to the volume of uh, business that they did with you.
2: That's interesting. Huh. You don't see many farmers' operations running like that anymore, I don't think. I can't imagine.
3: No, this one down here at Ava. Well, I've I've run it, too, for quite a while. Yeah. And it's it's an entirely different-looking place now.
2: Yeah. And actually, the MFA in Mansfield, the one you ran for years and years, it no longer shut it it down in early 2000s.
3: Yeah.
2: Pretty sad. I think it's interesting whenever you look at the way it operated right next to the railroad, bring the feed in on the truck, could just load it all or all, take it off the take it off the railroad.
3: Load it on a truck.
2: Load it load it on truck.
3: <clears throat> well we had the mill down there. We'd bring our corn in on rail and our pellets in rail and we'd grind the corn there and had molasses and stuff we'd mix right there. Yeah. On the scales.
2: Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, one thing about the MFA as a kid, because you were still, I was born in 87, so the first five years of my life, you were—you said till 94, though, right? 92. 92, so the first five years of my life, you were still running it.
3: Oh, yeah, I and got pictures of you running around in there
2: when I retired. <laughs> still to this day, <laughs> yeah. if I go in a feed store and I smell that, it takes me right back, because yeah. there's a very distinct smell with those MFAs, or yeah. any kind of feed store, so... Was there anybody doing, when they were planting corn and crops around here, was there much of that?
3: Oh, qu- uh, quite a bit. Daryl was out on, Daryl Sparling had a big cornfield out there. And Compare perso- that
2: to today. Do you, do you think you saw more corn in 92 than 2019?
3: Oh, yeah, I think so.
2: There was more corn back then? Yeah, I think so. Just because most people were trying to fatten cows on silage and well,
3: yeah, they a lot of them planted it for silage.
2: Yeah. And so probably a lot more corn and now probably not in the major fields or huge fields of corn, but there were still like fifteen acre patches yeah. or ten acre patches of corn. Huh. What about Milo?
3: They used it for silage.
2: Okay. So I'm I'm asking these questions because our listeners come from all over the U.S., and it may seem like, oh, why are you asking about corner milo? Because everybody's been planting that around here for years and years. We're in an area where there's not many crops now, well, mostly pastures.
3: They were, well, we weren't really a crop back then. But no, uh,
2: but people still planted it for feeding cows.
3: Yeah, but, uh, you know, we, we, as far as threshing, like it did with milo, we didn't. No one raised it. No one for grain.
2: Yeah, yeah. They just chopped it for yeah. silage. Yeah, I can remember quail hunting a couple of milo fields north of Mansfield. You remember that? Yeah. Yep. Out by uh, what was that lake? Cook Lake, yeah. I think. Lake Cook or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quail hunting the old milo fields. Was there any no-till drilling? Do you remember the first time you ever saw a no-till drill?
3: I don't think I've even saw one yet. <laughs> yeah.
2: You've been out of the game for since 92. Um, there's a few of them around now. but uh, And and I ask that because I didn't figure you ever got in on the no-till drill chance. Mm-hmm. Back in 92, people were still plowing and disking oh, yeah. and harrowing, and that was how you planted the crops. Yep. And so definitely come from the background of that was the way you had to do it. And now with no-till drills and corn planters, people are going away from that. And there's no tillage, which is we're finding is drastically helping the soil quality and water quality and erosion problems. But and
3: we wouldn't have believed you could have done it.
2: No, you wouldn't have. And that's where <laughs> we're still trying to fight that fight. <laughs> there's no way you can do that. Yeah, for sure. And, and we thought food.
3: we had to have a good seed bed.
2: That's right. Yeah, a good seed bed. So do you, how many guys, like, did you... Did you guys sell equipment through MFA? Uh,
3: not uh, tractors or anything. We sold repairs for okay. mowing machines and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um man, I, I going to that there'd be a lot of people I I'm sure even today that are, are that aren't on the no till drill, corn planter, um, seed planter bandwagon, but more and more people are doing I I can only imagine ninety two if you came into right county mfa and said here this is how you're going to plant your fields i no. can't imagine it, w- it would have gone over like a lead balloon
3: no i don't know when it when really i first heard of the no tell
2: really that's interesting huh anything else that you can really think of um, big transitions big changes happen in the ag world from 52 to 92
3: oh <laughs> i'm sure if i Really think about it, yeah. I kind of put you on the hot
2: seat because I didn't even tell you we were doing this. I just started pulling out the gear and I put a headset on you. So let's talk ag.
3: I didn't uh, even know that uh, in now anything. I've been out of the farm business for twenty six years. I've been retired. Yeah. So there's been a lot of changes since I've retired.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so kind of transitioning out of the ag, I have the United Farm Agency 1928 spring catalog. So United Farm Agency was real estate. It's actually called United Country now, which is a brokerage that Matt and I work for. But this one was the very first real estate listing catalog that they printed in the spring of nineteen twenty eight. How old were you in nineteen twenty-eight? Four. Four years old. So we're going way back. Um and I wanna and so there's some listings here that are just like, woo, to give you an idea and the listeners an idea how much has changed. Um we're going to three Mansfield listings and I'm gonna read these to you. And I'll read it exactly the way it's written. It's kind of it's interesting a little bit different in the way we talk now, the way we write. Um, So we have a 200-acre lot for $6,000. Milk cow, team, wagon, harness, and farm tools with money-making dairy and stock farm. Beautiful home and producer. Well-improved on County Road. Only nine miles over. Same to Mansfield for all advantages. High school, railroad, cheese factory, etc., three miles gasconade river fine fishing mail and telephone service 200 acres tillable 185 in high state of cultivation fertile dark loam soil for all crops corn wheat oats hay soybeans balanced in wire fenced pond watered woodland pasture wood for home use mostly in tame grass now 700 or 70 acres under woven wire fence good orchard 75 apple, 30 peach, also pear, plum and cherry trees, grapes, owner's income last year over $2,300, good two-story, seven-room frame house, painted white, concrete foundation, two porches, beautiful view to the south, fine lawn, beautiful shade trees, well water, 40-foot barn, two poultry houses, smokehouse, machine shed. Owner has prospered and is retiring. You should do the same here. Only $6,000. Part cash, terms of the balance, and early possession. Worth your immediate inspection. This and other selected bargains here shown by C.A. Stevens, Mansfield, Wright County, Missouri. (laughs) Does that sound pretty familiar to what you remember about? I don't
3: remember a listing, really. You don't ever remember back
2: in the when you were a kid, people listing the farm and showing. No. So this one, um, that makeup, you've got a, a a farm that's got cultivation, it's got pasture, it's got peach trees and fruit trees, it's got well water, a smokehouse, machine shop. Does that sound about, a lot like farms <laughs> back in those days? Two hundred acres, and made twenty three hundred dollars one year.
3: Yeah, that's a good good income.
2: That was a good income <laughs> yeah. in 1928? Yeah. Wow. Um, so kind of tell me, soybeans, all the crops listed in this were most likely not leaving the farm. They were mainly meant yeah. to grow and feed yeah. the cows there on that farm. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't like a cut the soybeans and then they're going somewhere down the road and they're going to end up getting shipped to China or whatever. No. Just... Just plant them here to to feed your cows. When it says, and part of that it said, what it say? It said wild, gra- uh tame grass. Now, what yeah. do you think that means? I don't.
3: Red top, maybe.
2: Switching over to something not red so red top
3: and orchard grass, maybe. Okay. Fescue coming.
2: This was 28, so still years uh, <laughs> from fescue.
3: They, they wasn't a whole lot of tame grass then.
2: Yeah, and, and when they said tame, basically they were meaning a non-native kind of a cool season coming in, right? Yeah. Probably. I would assume so, based on, because everybody always called wild grass, or they called native grasses wild grass, yeah, right?
3: Yeah, that's, that's mostly pasture.
2: Which... Yeah, and so that's what I'm assuming when it said woodland pasture, I'm guessing a mix of trees and grass. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, kind of the woodland setting that was so prosperous to the quail.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm just blown away reading this. Um, I'll read another one to you. What What about the cherry trees, fruit trees? Pretty much every little farm in the Midwest, or it seemed like have some have some of those fruit trees.
3: Oh, some of them. Some of them. Yeah.
2: Um, Here's another one. This is one you'll like. This is right at my alley for budget, 160 acres. $800, $800. Two sets improvements, only 500 cash. An opportunity for someone to own a good farm on small investment. Close to schools and church, 4 miles of village store, few minutes run to all advantages of Mansfield Railroad, high school, cheese factory, good markets, all products, wood, etc. 80 acres of good tillable land, 40 acres in cultivation, balanced and fenced, spring watered. Woodland pasture, estimated 5,000 cords wood and 100,000 feet saw timber, two, mills, two miles to the mill, some apple and peach trees, two log cabins, oak shaded, spring water, fine view, river in sight, two small barns, hen house and smoke house, owner too old to handle any longer, makes quick sale price $800 or $500 cash." <laughs> Terms on balance to suit and immediate possession. This and other selected bargains here shown by C. L. Lewis or C C A Stevens, Mansfield, Wright County, Missouri. What do you think about that?
3: That's a good buy, wasn't
2: it? It was a real good buy. <laughs> Don't you wish you would have bought all that back yeah. in the day?
3: Yeah, but no one had any money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was eight hundred dollars sounds pretty cheap, but nobody <laughs> had you were working for how much a
3: day? Oh back then. When I was a kid, I was uh, in grade school. I was working for 50 cents a day.
2: (laughs) So it took a lot of days to pay for an $800 (laughs) farm. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I got one more for you in Mansfield. This is 120 acres for $3,900. County Road Farm, five acres of grapes. A farm that will appeal to you on which you can make money. Land is all fenced and in neighborhood of high-class farms on County Road, only six miles. All advantages, good railroad, high school, seven miles, cheese factory, two miles, Gasconade River, fine fishing, hunting for small game, mail, and telephone. 120 acres tillable, 60 acres now in cultivation, fertile, dark loam, soil, corn, hay, oats, land, lays well. Balance a good pasture and fine timber. Wire fence, spring fed, five acres bearing six year old grapes. Also, good family orchard, apple, pear, cherry, and peach trees. Good four room frame house, painted white, stone foundation, two porches, fruit tree shade, well at door, barn, poultry house, smoke house, and well house. A real buy at $3,900. Only a thousand cash needed. Terms on valent to suit possession arranged. Your work here will mean success.
3: That was high price compared to them others, wasn't it? 100,
2: 120 acres <laughs> for thirty nine, thirty nine hundred bucks. <laughs> um, you know what I find interesting about that? I kind of have a pretty good idea where that farm's at. On the Gasconade River, talks about fine fishing. You'd be a, if you tried to make it, to go fishing on that part of the river in this day and age you'd have to do some hunting for some good fishing. Oh, yeah. There's not that many fish in that part of the creek anymore.
3: Oh, all these creeks used to have good fishing. Yeah, Bryant Creek down here had
2: good fishing. And now it's filled in with gravel, and mm-hmm. there's not any deep holes anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, just, it's kind of frightening to see the change that's happened from 1928 to now. Yeah. Good fishing in a part of the creek that, if I was fishing there now, I'd be a starving man because there's just not much there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think, oh, painted white. That was another thing that kind of caught caught my eye. Two listings talked about the houses being painted white. Yeah. Was that just popular back then?
3: Probably not a lot of houses were painted.
2: Okay. Not a lot of houses were painted, but if they're painted white, they were a better yeah. house. Oh, yeah. And white, was white paint pretty cheap? <laughs> I'd expect, I would expect. Yeah. I, I would assume so. I think old whitewash paint.
3: Everything was pretty cheap. Yeah.
2: Even these farms, but you weren't. So were the pay people, the employers. Apparently, they were pretty cheap too, paying you fifty cents a day. When you signed on with MFA, so you're working as a kid for fifty cents a day. When you signed on with MFA, that was post World War II. That's
3: about seventy-five cents an hour.
2: Thir- seventy-five cents an hour. Yeah. Wow. So you're making big bucks compared to before the war, <laughs> oh, huh? Yeah. Huh. I remember the first job I ever had. I was making six dollars, and no, 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 take that back five twenty five five dollars and twenty five cents an hour now they're trying to get fourteen dollars an hour on minimum wage or whatever it ends up being um mm, I just it's interesting to me to see all the changes that have occurred in this these three listings. Fruit trees, every one of them has fruit trees. Every one of them has cultivated land. Every one of them talks about the actual fences. Um, Every one of them has or talks about uh, a river or a creek. So that was highly important. Um, At this point, well water was still drawn up from outside. There was no indoor plumbing. a
3: lot of people use springs. Yeah. To get their yeah. water. It was, no, there was no in, indoor plumbing come in in the 50s when electricity comes through the country.
2: Yeah. Man. Tell me the story, since we're talking ag, but before we started recording this, you got to tell me the story since we're on water. World War Two. you said you were dying of thirst. Remember the story you told yeah. me? Yeah, tell me that again.
3: Oh, I, I we were... We just crossed the river and took a bridge. In and Was it,
2: that crossing the river out of France and into Germany, or were you no, in we Germany? No, we were inside Germany.
3: Okay. And uh, I, uh, was I was thirsty, and I knew there, someone told me they was uh, pumped down by the river. That was where the bridge was. We were about three blocks from it, I guess. Mm-hmm. finally I found an old dish pan, and I went down there and got that water and carried it back up through there. I didn't know what was between me and that water, but I wanted water bad.
2: <laughs> so you didn't have any canteens with water?
3: had canteens, but then I, don't know what. I had a canteen. Hel- I was- had a whole quart of water, but I didn't have any water in
2: it. Gotcha. Were you drinking, like... If you ran across the pond or anything, were you trying to drink out of that, or did— I,
3: I would have drank about anything, but we had little pills, halazone pills we could put in, supposedly to purify anything. Gotcha. But supposedly. We didn't worry about that. You know, we didn't run into anything much. Really? The, all the plumbing and everything in the town were shot out. There wasn't any water in them. Mm-hmm. Just all shot out houses and bombed out out. Of
2: There's no water in there. No. Most of the wells or whatever that was in the town was probably bombed out too.
3: Oh, well, was all bombed out. There. The only thing I found to drink was in a cellar was a bunch of canned cherries. I drank the juice. <laughs> over, drank the juice off of them.
2: Oh, I can't even imagine. The reason we brought this up was... I don't even remember how we got on that, but we were talking about how I don't really, Grandma and I were saying oh, well, we don't really, didn't drink water. <laughs> how we don't really like drinking water. And, oh, uh, it's, uh, it's when you don't have water, there's nothing that's precious.
3: Mm. How far was it? You
2: said about three blocks. Yeah. And you told me something. You said when you went down, of course, you could carry your gun in your hands, so if somebody did jump out, you could yeah. have yeah. the gun out. But then on the way back, you had to carry it down over your sling.
3: Yeah, you had to sling it over your shoulder because you couldn't carry a dishpan in both hands <laughs> Rifle.
2: a uh, So if you ran into a German at that point, you said you were just going to say, just shoot me because I want my water.
3: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have thrown that water on him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. And that was right there just before the Battle of the Bulge?
3: Yeah, that's before the Battle of the Bulge.
2: So you were, wow.
3: That's in the Siegfried line, Germans defensive. Gotcha. They had this defensive line that was supposed to stop everybody. Mm. It did hold us up a long time.
2: Yeah. But you got through it. Hmm. Well, that pretty well wraps us up. You got anything else, any comments? No comments. All right. I know uh, I threw you on the hot seat, and we've got a couple more listings we're going to go through today. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I know uh weren't planning on talking old war stories, but at some point, we may have to bring you back just to talk all those old war stories, because I know a lot of people enjoy hearing them. So anyway, hopefully you guys liked it, and uh, we'll catch you next time.
1: Already, I've got Brian on the line. Brian, how you doing today?
4: Doing well. How are you, sir?
1: Doing all right. We appreciate you uh, you coming on and chatting with us about some property.
4: Yeah it's it's hard not to like and talk about property.
1: That's exactly right. You know, kind of hit hit the heartstrings and what everyone's passionate about when you when you talk about land um and specifically this piece because, you know, it's pretty special to you. And uh if you will real quick before we jump into the details of the property, talk a little bit about yourself um and then kind of what what you got going on here today.
4: Yeah, yeah. And you know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Missouri boy and, you know, kind of grew up in a middle-class family um, and, you know, always just grew up around hunting and fishing and just, you know, that's what we did. Uh, you know, anytime we had a free moment, we were hunting and fishing something, you know, and we weren't really prejudiced. We uh, we always liked to, liked to do it all, any, mm-hmm. any chance we got. But long story short is that, you know, land has always been a real attraction for me, uh, you know, just because never – you know, my grandpa owned some row crop ground, but, but as a whole, we just didn't always, you know, never had any hunting property ever own. always hunted public land. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest with you, I still love hunting public land, oh, partially, partially from the competition, you know, so to speak, but, but also just because we're pretty blessed, you know, in Missouri where, where I'm at, um, you know, we, we've got quite a bit of really good hunting, you know, good quality public land to hunt you know, for, for most things, even for deer, at least prior to the orange army coming out during gun season, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, you know it's a, you know, we've got many places to go. So, but, you know, always have that, you know, always had that thought and that idea of, you know, it'd be awesome just to love, some, you know, to actually own some, own some property, have, have some of your own ground and, and, you know, just still yet. I mean, I've, I've always been, I still consider myself to be, uh, definitely in the middle, middle classer you know, doing whatever I can to, Make a dime and make a buck where I can, but, mm-hmm. but also always want is having that, ad, that admiration or or just that desire to have property. And so, uh, you know, I, about about five, well, no, let me back up about 13 years ago, we bought our first piece of property, my wife and I did, mm-hmm. uh, which we still have today, which is one that we probably won't ever sell. We call it it's called Landon's Duck Pit. It's just kind of a special place. It's kind of near where my wife grew up, and mm-hmm. I developed it into a wetland. Um, awesome. You know, but then uh, uh, you know, about five years ago, uh, we bought another piece of property which was close to her home where we we're at in Wayne County, um, just on the eastern edge of the Ozarks. And we bought sixty acres, just a you know small parcel there, and, and the whole intention there was to buy it as an investment. Right. You know, with the standpoint of. You know, because I grew up, you know, my dad, my dad had a construction company and growing up, we'd build houses and every few years we'd sell that house and, you know, build another one. And the mm-hmm. whole purpose behind that was to essentially get mom and dad out of paying a mortgage payment, sure. and you know, down, down the line. And, you know, we'd always build up just a little nicer home each, you know, each time. And so I kind of had that same concept and philosophy in thinking about land, mm-hmm. you know, using kind of spinning off what my dad did with, with homes. And, and I know there's many folks that have done that, either just buying and selling or, you know, building and selling, whatever the case might be. There's a, it's kind of a smart move for many folks, um, which, you know, land is another major, major investment, you know, only second to a house mortgage or, or yeah, a home. Absolutely. But, um, so I kind of had that same concept. And so we bought, we bought 60 acres, you know, you know, did some, made some improvements, sold it. And then, uh, so the. You know, now I've kind of reinvested in a different piece of property. Uh, we did that about three years ago. It'll be uh, 133 acres down in Carter County, okay. and uh, and so that's kind of what I think you wanted to talk a little bit about. I I don't know how much further you want me to talk about it, or just yeah, let, let me yeah. Ask the questions.
1: I, I'm I'm really interested in in that property, um, just because of some of the success that you guys have had and your family has shared on that property. So you you guys obtained it three years ago talk to talk to me about kind of what you guys have done management wise and implemented on the property to kind of get to where it's at today
4: yeah you know it it was a it was one of those to where it was kind of the right piece for me uh Mm -hmm. like i said it was 133 acres and not and having a you know having a biology degree and a biology background and and wildlife management you know it just you know i kind of got that I wouldn't say that skill set but that desire. Yeah. Uh so whenever I bought whenever we bought this it was it was the perfect. It was had highway frontage, electric mm-hmm. was right there, um, you know, had many, many aspects that most folks like to see that you don't always get in in a in a hunting piece of property. Very true. You know, but at the same time it was it was uh, just a narrow piece that came out to the highway, and the main part of it was 120 acres that set off the road. But, but again, it was just a blank slate. It mm-hmm. was, it was a piece of property that probably been cut over. You know, just looking at it, it was, you know, I would say it was cut over pretty hard, probably 50, 60, maybe 70 years ago. Okay. And so it was a lot of, you know, there were some, there were some mature trees on it. Uh, in the overstory, but there was a lot of, you know, a lot of trees in the Mm understory. And it was just one of those perfect pieces for me in looking at that was like, it's a blank slate and, and it was something that I can, I can pick up, I can run with and, you know, just, you know, and, and of course there's all sorts of ways of evaluating and we all have different thoughts and opinions on what we're looking for. But for me, it was perfect because it was, um, you know, being that blank slate, I could walk in there, evaluate the timber, do what I needed to there. But then also, I could I could mold it and make it to what I wanted. And being flat, it also had lots of options for food plots. You sure. know, in fact, uh, you know I had a, a dozer and excavator in there for a week and a half, and and the excavator operator he was like. He's like, oh, Brian, which he's a cattle guy. And, you know, he was like, this is, he said, I wish I owned this place. He said, but he said, I'd be clearing every tree off of it just because it, it's that it's, it's kind of one of those, yeah. that uh, you know, a cattleman would like. It's nice, easy growing,
5: mm-hmm. you know, if,
4: you know, where there is a, where there is a roll, but overall it's, you know, just pretty flat ground, which is kind of hard to find in the Ozarks as a whole, That's um, very especially cool. along the current the river, Kurt, oh, yeah. you know, up and down the current river valley. So, no you know, but long story short is that, you know, it was a real, real nice piece. And we went in, um, you know, one of the very first things that I did, you know, after doing a quick evaluation was like, you know what, tr- true to most places across the Ozark, you know, the red oaks are about 60, you know, 60 to 70 mm-hmm. years old. The mature ones were, they were, decl- they were on decline yeah. uh, because they're pretty much maxed out in age. Yeah. So I went in, and I wasn't necessarily looking at making money off the timber.
5: Mm-hmm. What I
4: was looking at was actually, you know, number one, it was an improvement because they're gonna they're gonna die within probably five to ten years. Everything was gonna be dead. So my I was looking at it as let's take them out. Let's take them out now. Where there's still um, some value you know,
1: associated with them.
4: Exactly. While there's still some value, but also it was going to do a thinning for me. You Mm -hmm. know, it was something that needed to be done that I didn't have to do. It was less chainsaw work for me.
1: That's exactly
4: right. So I went ahead and, you know, we had a thinning done. We used used, uh, some of the money that we made because we didn't make a bunch, not like a normal timber sale would be on 133 acres, but I knew it wasn't going to be. Right. Um, you know that wasn't the used, goal. That wasn't the intent. It wasn't the goal. No, yeah. and honestly, it was actually to improve the forest health. Sure. And essentially, what we only harvested were the red oaks. I mm. mean, there were the the we there's only a handful of white oaks that I marked for cutting. But that mm-hmm. was just because in in those white oak stands where I had a bunch of fourteen to sixteen inch white oaks that were kind of competing with each other, mm-hmm. I'd go ahead and mark one or two of them. Absolutely. You know, just to help release what was left. It was a a
1: large-scale TSI project.
4: Exactly. It was a commercial thinning TSI, essentially. Right. And, you know, which I've done, you know, since that time, I've done quite a bit more TSI work, um, you know, and and, and roughly about half the property. Mm -hmm. Um, And and part of that is by design, too. I don't want to – I'm always – I'm one of those guys to where I don't – I may have an idea or a thought that I need to do this over the entire property, but when and where I can, I like to do it in in piecemeal uh, partially because it's easier to bite off. But as you and I know, (laughs) excuse me, as habitat managers, you know, we want to create as much edge as we can when and where we can, you know, for the hunting, for, for huntability of the property. And so I kind of look at lending of those projects when I'm doing prescribed burning and, and my TSI work that I implemented on the property, I kind of wanted to align it as much as possible with my deer movement patterns sure you know thinking about uh predominant winds and things like that so uh-huh. you know so and that was the same same thing you know i used utilize that because we developed a, ro- a road system through the property um you know just in that road system is to allow you know ease of access based upon wind based upon the wind directions um you know whether you're hunting the timber or the food plots because they're
5: yeah. you know we do have
4: five five openings on the property you know they're you know, there's a couple of smallest ones are, you know, about a quarter acre in size. You know, one of the smallest ones, probably about a quarter acre, a little under, not quite a half acre in size. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them are, you know, are, are larger than that. And, uh, you know, just, you know, just because being in the Ozarks, uh, you know, it's kind of, once you, once you develop a food plot or a place for a, a deer to eat, and once they figure it out, they, they hone in on it traditionally. So, you know, which is kind of a, a, a neat, a neat process too, because also got some, I actually have some topsoil there. Uh, yeah. which is kind of a can be a hard thing to find, and so uh we we've done everything we can to to help preserve that and promote that mm-hmm. you know the whether it's the you know the microbes in the soil you know promote them, but you know using no till sure. you know you know where we can just to make sure that we we do it right so that's exactly
1: right long term kind of uh planning forecasting for the longevity of the property. Uh, that yes. seems like the, a lot of uh forethought is put into, you know, what you've been doing work-wise in the timber and then in the in the wildlife openings there as well. That's awesome to hear. Um you know, in in the couple years of of management um in and hunting, what ha- what kind of success have you guys seen from a hunting aspect
4: on the place? We've seen really good success. Um uh, you know, there were, there were deer there anyway. It's yeah. kind of in a part of the world where there's it's you know it's it's pretty big country as a whole yeah and so there there is hunting pressure around but it's not doesn't have the hunters per square mile that you see in some other locations of Missouri right um you know and in other parts but you know uh so you know honestly deer numbers were pretty decent uh we've killed you know in three years we've killed eight deer off the property okay. uh 133 acres that's you know me and my dad and my brother and uh, my son, um, and, you know, and I've got a niece and a nephew that have also killed deer off the property. Awesome. So, you know, we've kind of, it's kind of been a, you know, a family affair. It's been one of those things to where, to be honest with you, uh, uh, my my dad, for my dad, it's a little bit of a uh, a sore subject just because my dad absolutely loves the property because mm-hmm. having had a lot of places in Missouri and even a lot of parts of the country, you know, uh, Wisconsin, Kentucky, and just various places around the country, you know, he's like, Brian I love this place and mm-hmm. you know and he really he, you know I have told him from day one what the what the intent was but sure. it's kind of a like I said it's a little bittersweet but at the same time you know we just also realize there's memories be made of other places so oh, you know the you know and part of the part of the enjoyment for me is as much developing the property as it is hunting it you know yeah I, I want uh, if some if somebody else or if somebody else has success I think that's just as much fun but uh but yeah i mean we we've had really good success uh, actually we killed a couple turkeys off the property
5: mm-hmm. i've not
4: hunted it super hard for turkeys i mean it does have a, a turkey population and a decent turkey population sure but i didn't want to over hunt it uh just yeah. because i was de- i wanted to develop it more uh especially for brood habitat and, and brood rearing in in some locations and making sure that we didn't pressure or push too much on the turkeys uh, normally, normally I'd have you know four to five gobblers on the property, mm-hmm. and you know, and I just I didn't want to over over hunt or overshoot the property. If yeah. that makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, what, what kind you of know, projects
1: have you done for the for the brood rearing and, and um, nesting habitat for for turkeys?
4: A, a lot of that is. Through TS, you know, after the timber harvest, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the red oaks, there were some pockets that were thinner, yeah. uh, you know, that were, were, you know, to where it was heavy on the red oak. So, so there'll be some places that were real thin in hardwoods. So what I did was I kind of stayed, I kind of stayed to that tradition and managed for the post oak and the white oak that yeah. was there, but also made it more, it made it more of a woodland setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, came in and, uh, you know, managing for that real early successional habitat and in and which is a a key component then also of course you know I've got a couple of uh two two of my smaller food plots i i do have clover in so Mm -hmm. that's a really good for bugging bugging in as well you know really good bug food clover is so you know those little baby poults can get out there but also right beside it again i've got early successional habitat and even some thicker stuff and a couple pockets to where if a hawk or an owl or a uh, bobcat or something tries to tries to interfere with the, the daily bugging episode. You know, then they can have cover Quickly pretty close to cover. Yeah, exactly. So you know, kind of right. having all that you know in, into one.
1: Mm-hmm. But
4: you know, but you know, it is. It's just kind of neat. Uh, for me, I would say as much as anything. Uh, as I was kind of saying earlier, some of the memories. You mm-hmm. know, one of the uh, I don't know. I'm kind of a, I like to ramble sometimes, so I don't know how much, how much time we got, (laughs) but you know, one of the, one of the neatest things to me was, was probably one of the most frustrating moments in the beginning that I ever had. Mm -hmm. And there's actually, I've kind of got it, um, you know, this is the property's not officially on the market, but it is it is up for grabs, and sure. I kind of put it out there on my Facebook page that hey, you know, if anybody wants it, they can contact me. But in one of the photos, one the one that's getting the mo that got the most likes, and you know, people just loved was was one of my daughter and I, I i better not say the seed company that that she was pulling uh, beans out of because it, it's, it's i guess technically stratton's competitor but uh you know but but anyway but long story short was my i was riding the tractor it was mm-hmm. one friday evening right before a rainstorm picked the kids up from school and daycare and and uh we ran out to the farm and was i was i was on the tractor drilling beans and and i looked over and my my daughter had her she was she was all the way up to her shoulders, practically head first in, in this bag of beans. And I would see her and she was pulling out out this $80 bag of forged beans and just slinging them. Oh, and, and, of course, I was 200 yards away and and, and I come <laughs> and, and, and 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 I immediately jumped off, you know, stopped and jumped off the tractor. And when I was, I was hot because,
2: yeah.
4: uh, you know, I mean, that's, it's, that's you, some know, money. The, you know, $80 bag of beans is, you know, kind of, you know, that hits pocketbook a little bit, yeah. but the closer I got to it and the more she slung, you know, I could see just the grin on her face.
1: Right.
5: And I'm
4: glad I was 200 yards away from her because, mm-hmm. you know, because as I got about 50 or 60 yards, you know, I could see the grin on her face. And I, when I got about 30 yards, I said, her name is Rayleigh. I said, Rayleigh, what are you doing? And she said, dad, I'm feeding the animals
5: you know, oh. you know as, a, as a
4: typical three-year-old yeah and you know and and as soon and, and as soon as she said that my heart just melted
5: mm-hmm. you know because it's
4: like one of those things to where I, I didn't care i let her swing that entire bag, that rest of the bag out because at that point in time it didn't matter to me yeah it, it could have been it could have been 200 dollars right, uh, a right. bag and and it would have been worth it just because it was so she was just you know taking I mean part are, of,
1: of what uh of what the family was doing she wanted to help exactly
4: out. exactly you know and so there's there's different things you do on a property like that to where you make a memory. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the neat thing, at least for my mind is, you know, when I'm thinking about it as an investment, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult sometimes to kind of separate, um, you know, my, because my long-term goal is to have the property as, you know, to be able to buy a property outright to where I don't have to go and pay a mortgage. And that's what my, Mm -hmm. my long-term goal is. But in order to do that, I can't get caught up in some of the emotional things either some of those memories. But I also know that, it doesn't matter because we'll just make the same, or not the same memories, but uh, new memories somewhere else. Right. So you know that's kind of, kind of what, kind of why uh, I'm looking, looking to kind of reinvest is you know another piece. Hopefully, you know, hopefully so that down the road I can, I can actually own a piece outright as opposed to having to go to the, go to the bank every time.
1: That's exactly right. There you go. Yep. And that's, uh, that's neat. That's what, that's what investing in properties can do though is you know make your money kind of work for you if you know what you're doing you've got a plan to develop it Um, but you're also enjoying that investment it's not like you can go and enjoy a a stock on wall street or whatever you know you can go actually go out to this property with your family and make memories uh, as the property is developing and and hopefully going to have a a good return for you in the long run
4: oh absolutely yeah and and even if i'd keep the property i know that you know because well I always think about this, you know, you know, because the property right now, even what I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, 1275 an acre, which for mm-hmm. that neighborhood up and down the current river and in, it's in Carter County, Missouri. And, you know, you, you go to, you go to land, you know, different, different land websites and look at prices, you know, it's pretty easy to find a lot of that ground that's 17, dollars an acre. Oh, yeah. So,
5: yeah. you know,
4: so. Long story short is that I know that, you know, I'm well under the market, but mm-hmm. for what I have in it, I don't have to worry about that. Sure. And sure. you know, but you know, that being said, you know, I know that I've also got even if i held on to it, there's something there for me, mm-hmm. you know, you know, down the road. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I try to keep my plan too, which I think that's a key key component of doing that. No doubt. Is need to stick with your plan. You know, that's once you correct. once you get a plan, you need to try to stick with it.
1: No question there. Um mentioned a couple of things there that we haven't we haven't talked about yet current river yep. close to that how close is
4: it to the elk area because it'll be it'll be on the uh, east side of the river from yep. the elk it's about uh it's you know the way well ellington the ellington mm-hmm. area uh there's elk elk venture on that side of the river quite a bit, so if you look at that especially the bulls in the summer summer months and early yep. fall it seems like they spend quite a bit of time. They're in the Ellington area. It, it's roughly about, you know, just you know, the way a crow would fly or an open walk across company, country. It's about 15 miles. Okay. You know, so it's not it's not right there in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. but it's not overly far yeah. uh, from from that either. Uh, but it's it's uh, depending on how you go, it's about seven miles from the from the t- little town of Van Buren, which a lot of folks know in that part of oh, the world because yeah. it's a float it's a float town and you know mm-hmm. just a real tourist town, neat little place, but. You know, there's a county road that you can shoot across Highway 60 on that you can be on the current river, um, you know, at a primitive access, gravel bar access. And, um, you know, you could be there in, in about seven, eight minutes from from the property. That's so, perfect. I mean, it's got, you know, so I mean, it's kind of one of those that's not on the river, uh, which has has its advantages and disadvantages, uh, you know, but uh, but it is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but it is right there close.
1: Well, great. I mean, that that sounds like a perfect kind of all-season recreational property. Um, great hunting, fall and spring uh, for various wild game, but then you have the opportunity to um, still enjoy it on the weekends in the summer and go and float. Like I said, that's a humongous float town. Current River is one of the most scenic rivers in Missouri. Uh, spring-fed, crystal-clear water, just gorgeous and uh yeah. i i think it's 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 a great recreational area itself if you if you like the outdoors i know there's yep. lots of hiking trails and stuff around even outside of this property so sounds like a, a fantastic opportunity for someone so you said 133 acres uh looking for 1275 per acre how do they yep, get in touch with you brian
4: Uh, Probably the best way to get in touch with me is just by my cell phone. It's uh five, seven, three, seven, one, four, one, one, zero, nine. And I'm, you know, even if it's about my property or, or any other property, I'm happy, you know, I do, you know, I I dabble in real estate as well. So, Uh you know, I'm, I'm willing to help out kind of like you guys, you know, anytime with anyone and um, you know, but, or even just, you know, they just, they don't have to be interested in the property. Just want to talk about, Hey, what I, what I've done, you know, if they got questions about that, I'm, yeah, as as you know, I'm I like to talk, so you know I'm not afraid to I'm not afraid to visit on the phone.
1: Not afraid to answer the phone call. Well, good deal. Yes. Best of luck um, in selling. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, staying in contact and kind of seeing. Um, ho- hopefully, it moves quick for you and who yeah. actually you know ends up being taking ownership of it. Because you know, like you said, this isn't this is a, you know, a plan and investment, but there's still. There's still a part of you that, uh, and I think with any property, honestly, um, there's part of each landowner that kind of remains with the property. Everyone kind of leaves their mark, and that's why you know land and legacy. That that's that's kind of the origin of the name. So it will be neat to see Brian, who kind of takes up after what you've done, um, appreciates it, and hopefully continues to kind of carry that torch with the property, improving things for you know the land, for the wildlife, for the soil, for the water all that. It's super important. So interested to follow along.
4: Oh yeah. Well, and I, and I, and anybody that would purchase it, you know, that is one thing that kind of, they kind of get me with the property too. Cause every, I'd I like to have an update on occasion mm-hmm. because uh, you know, I, I do, cause you do feel a connection with the property, you know, yeah. as you say, but, but also it, it's, it becomes a relationship even with the person, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, if they have, you know, it, it's just kind of neat, you know, I want to know what kind of memories they make and, and, things that i might have done wrong but i but however i can i can also tell you that uh this property is just kind of getting to where in the next couple years it's going to be it's going to be really 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 good
1: Mm -hmm. well fantastic um appreciate your time today brian appreciate you coming on and uh looking forward to seeing the future of this place
4: sounds like a winner thank you sir take care